Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg. Today we're talking about the current conflict taking place in Israel and the Gaza Strip, uh, the background impacts, and more topics that will, I'm sure will come up today. We have uh, four guests joining us today. Gunter Jekeli is uh, the Erna B. Rosenfeld Professor at IU's Institute for the Study of Contemporary Antisemitism at the Bourne's Jewish Studies Program. Aiden Hamis is the uh, as a member of the Palest- Palestine Solidarity Committee at IU and a Palestinian American. He's in IU's Arabic flagship program. Daniel Siegel is a Gene M. Pitzer Professor of Anthropology and a Professor of History at Pitzer College. And he's also a member of the Jewish Voice for Peace, and he's based in Bloomington uh, this semester. And also joining us as sort of a co-host and guest is George Hale, my colleague here at WFIU. He worked for seven years uh, in Israel and in the West Bank. If you have questions or comments, you can phone us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can also send us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Well, George, I want to turn to you uh, first, and if you could just give us a a really sort of brief history of your time. What were you doing um, for those seven years? Yeah, sure. Um, So right after I graduated from college, um, I had studied uh, Middle Eastern Studies and Arabic and International Affairs, and um, there was a new news agency being created uh, based in the West Bank that was... um, uh, a Palestinian news agency um, that wanted to be independent from the factions like Fatah and Hamas. Um, and they received funding from the EU and the United States, and they wanted to create an English department. And um, basically, they were looking for people who spoke Arabic and could, you know, copy edit English. And so, sort of my first job out of college was as a copy editor there. And um, yeah, ended up staying a lot longer than I planned and, um, you know, doing a lot more journalism and just copy editing too. Okay. Well, I want to ask uh, Professor Jekyll. Uh, to, to sort of frame this conversation from your perspective, I mean, we we've there's there's been conflict for decades, and this seems very serious right now. So, give us sort of your take on what's happening, and I don't know, just just start there. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think a lot of people have uh, followed events. Uh, of the last decades and longer, and there's a long history of a Palestinian-Israeli uh, conflict. But what happened this weekend is beyond that. It's a pogrom that we haven't seen since the end of the Holocaust. That is beyond anything political. That is really on a, on a scale that is unprecedented, unprovoked. So that is beyond any like political opinions, considerations. I think this is beyond the frames that we're used to uh, talk about this, uh, the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And, and you're talking about the, the uh, what happened sun- it was Sunday night? Saturday uh, so morning. Saturday morning. Okay. Right. So the, there were, um, uh, there was a terrorist coming from, uh, from the Gaza Strip, uh, going into a music festival in Israel, close to the border, killing indiscriminately as many Jews as they could, uh, going to, from house to house in the villages, killing families, mutilating the victims, and then taking hostages over 100 uh, back to Gaza. 
Mm-hmm. So that in this in this way, this is completely unprecedented. Mm-hmm. All right, Aiden, uh, from your perspective, when you saw what happened and now see the response to what happened, I mean, how how are you feeling? No, I'd have to agree that this is definitely um, an unprecedented thing we're seeing. You know, it was definitely horrific seeing the things that went on at the music festival, seeing the indiscriminate killing. But also, I think what is equally horrific now is seeing the bombardment of civilians in Gaza Strip that have nowhere to go. You know, the toll has just reached 447 children. You know, the the Gaza Strip is 2.2 million people, roughly half of which are under the age of 16. The infrastructure has been totally targeted, no electricity, no water. Um, Fuel is to run out soon. So I think this is a very serious time, and um, it's it's very very scary time as well. Okay, Daniel, your um, your immediate reaction, your first reaction. Uh, the first thing I want to say, um, as a member of Jewish Voice for Peace, as a proud Jew, is that my faith tradition leads me to mourn every life lost, the Israeli lives lost in the attacks that Gunter spoke about. Um, and all the lives being lost now in Gaza, and all the lives um, that were lost before that. Um, And I also feel we must reach out with all the compassion we as human beings can have for everybody, whether they are Palestinian or Israeli, who has lost a family member, a loved one, or a friend. And I want to start by calling upon us to grieve for all the human lives and to be compassionate for all those who've lost somebody. I think after that, to do that honestly, and to do that in a way that we particularly in academia must do, we have to talk about root causes. And the root cause of this bout of um, escalated or amplified violence is the oppression. The oppression of the Israeli state of Palestinians throughout the Israeli state's existence. And that leads me to reject the the idea that the attack was unprovoked. The attack last Saturday was unjustified. It's never justified to target civilians. We mourn for all the precious lives that were lost. But unjustified is not the same as unprovoked. And unfortunately, this horrific, violent resistance of last weekend was provoked by the oppression um, of our Palestinian sisters and brothers by the Israeli state. The oppression that treats Palestinians in the 48 borders of Israel as second-class citizens, the oppression that creates two systems of roads and laws that is fundamentally um, a horrific apartheid in the West Bank and, and East Jerusalem, and the oppression that has been the unbelievably um, crippling um, siege of Gaza for the last 16 years that has kept Palestinian Gazans in the equivalent of an open-air prison. So again, I mourn for all the lives. Um, The Israeli lives and Palestinians are all of equal value. I have deep compassion um, for people and who, um, Israelis and Palestinians who've lost loved ones and friends. But this was a of the root cause, and as intellectuals, as academics, we ha- we can't be dishonest and ignore the root cause. We can't pretend this came out of nowhere. Um, this came out and is a response to oppression. Gunter? Well, this is a, a good example, Dan, that you gave as somebody who, who keeps in thinking in the categories of the past. Uh, I call it both sidism that really does not apply here. If you look at what happened there, that indiscriminating targeting, really targeting civilians in mass, this is beyond any dimension to before. And what your theory is about the oppression, Gaza has been oppressed by Hamas for too long. The Israeli occupation was not in place since 2005, as you sh- I'm sure you know. So there was no um, direct oppression from the Israeli regime. That's just nonsense. And then saying this was provoked, provoked by what? That you go inside the Israeli territory? This is only if you have this perspective that you don't want any Israel to exist. This is what Hamas wants. They have it written in their charter. 
They have it, they say it almost every day that they want to eliminate Israel and kill Jews. So to have like this kind of excuses with this both sidism in that sense, it's just nonsense, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say. So if you want to talk about root causes, then you might want to go back to this, where this, this ideology come from. So you want to mind to read the Hamas Hata and look at their ideology, what they want. They don't want any peaceful uh, coexistence. They want to kill Jews and they want to eliminate Israel. Aiden? I think, I, I just want to add, I think it's erroneous to assert that Israel has no participation in the oppression of the Palestinian people. I think if we look at 2014, you know, that conflict resulted in the death of 547 children explicitly. And I think, yes, we can agree that Hamas is also an oppressor of the Palestinian people in Gaza. That is fundamentally something I agree with. They kill reporters, so on and so forth. But to say that the blockade that has been put on the Palestinian people is not in result too because of uh, Israeli motives um, to oppress uh, Gazan civilians is, is, I think, being dishonest. I th- I'm going to ask George a question because I... You know, when I sit over here in the United States and I follow this from afar, it's hard for me to get a picture of what it's like there. You know, can people live together? Can people get along together? George, when you lived there for those seven years and you worked in the West Bank, did you have friends who were, you know, Israelis and Palestinians? Did people get along? How, how, was, how were the people as opposed to the governments? Yeah, I mean, I think it really varies. Um, for one thing, I think it's important to note that um, there is no uh, relationship between people in Gaza and people in Israel because they're completely isolated from each other. Um, whether you think that's justified or not, that's just the truth. And it didn't always used to be that way. And so, you know, I mean, I noticed that, for example, um, you know, my neighbors in my apartment building, um, the older ones knew how to speak Hebrew. But people my age uh, barely knew a few words, you know. And that just shows that the, the two societies have been kind of pushed apart more and more, and it's not, uh, it's not necessarily, you know, um, part of their past, their long past history to be so separate. Mm-hmm. Gaza has also, also two borders. One is with Egypt and one may, is with may, Israel. May, so may you, should, in, you should want, you want, we can do that, kind of do that on the radio show, but I invite everybody listening to just have a look at the map. So blaming then the, uh, um, that that the, the borders are closed on Israel only is just false. You just want to look at the map. It has two borders, one with Egypt and one with Israel. Dan, go ahead. First of all, Gunther has attacked me by accusing me of two-sidism. The only element of two-sidism in my comments, if, if you listened carefully, was mourning for both sides and the human beings on both sides. Gunther made the, he used the word nonsense, he made the profoundly, um, factually false claim that Israel is not responsible um, for the oppression and the fact that it is also true that Egypt has been complicit in it. But (laughs) the fact that Egypt has been complicit doesn't absolve Israel of a unethical siege blockade of Gaza for 16 years, controlling um, or attempting to control what goes in and out, um, not permitting the building of an airport, not permitting the rebuilding of destroyed um, water treatment plants so that most people in Gaza for the last several years have lived without drinkable water. Um, To say, I mean, we're now in the element of denialism when we say that Israel doesn't bear responsibility for the oppression of Gaza over the last 16 years. This is academically um, irresponsible um, talk. It is just making up false claims the way some people make up false claims about um, that, you know, um, the climate is not changed by burning fossil fuels. and it does not excuse anything to talk about root causes. To fail to talk about root causes is, is anti-intellectualism. And it's also to fail to think historically, to think that the horrific violence that we experienced began a week ago is to stop being 
historically minded. That is also profoundly anti-intellectual um, and academically unsound. And what we have not talked about, except um, Aiden, and I think I want to just credit Aiden, right now, as we speak, what is going on in Gaza is targeting and disproportionate harm to civilians. Right now, what is going on in Gaza is an attempt at a forced relocation. These are both crimes under international law. And right now, we are, um, you know, in the fog of war, none of, not, none of us know exactly what is going on. In the fog of war, we all should be humble, Gunther. But in the fog of war, it is implausible. It begs credibility not to think that we are um, talking while there is a real-time unfolding of genocidal acts. And we all should stop. And, and, and the idea of, um, not, of trying to absolve Israel of, of responsibility for its apartheid, ethnic cleansing, um, and settler colonialism, um, and the Hamas, 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 um, mantra that, that we've heard here, the false claims of both sidism, the denial of historical fact of oppression through the siege of Gaza. This is really um, unbecoming of, of people in academia. Um, and right now, what we all should be thinking about, Gunther, is the massive loss of life. In the fog of war, we do not know, but it is most likely that we've already seen um, deaths primarily civilians in the tens of thousands. Gunther, as a Jew, I was raised by my beloved parents, um, and I'm old enough, I was raised in the wake of the Holocaust. And what my beloved parents taught me as a Jew was never again must be for all of us. And right now, in real time, what is most plausible is that we are um, talking while genocidal acts are unfolding. And we all need to stop and try to, we need to figure out a way to minimize this. And I think one of the first things we all ought to do is to call for a ceasefire and de-escalation. We need to be pro-peace. We need to be pro-radical love, pro-human rights for all of us. Um, and I would urge everybody to stop. No, I just, I just want to further the point. In order to be um, completely compassionate and, you know, further for a de-escalation, we, we can't engage in this, you know, um, this act of claiming what about Egypt, especially as a Palestinian whose family resides in Lebanon. We can talk about the crimes that the Lebanese government committed specifically against Palestinians. That doesn't absolve the overall oppression that goes on to Palestinians from the Israeli state. I think... In I, Lebanon? In Lebanon. The phalangist groups that, you know, targeted Palestinian civilians. Aren't they more under the oppression of Hezbollah? Well, and Lebanon, now, what does now? I'm yeah. talking about historically. Now, ha, ha, the the area in Lebanon is a little different, but still, Palestinians are denied rights in Lebanon just as much. They're denied the absolutely, to but work. this is not a responsibility of Israel. I, uh, that's not uh, that's not the argument I'm making. I'm saying mm -hmm. the argument is we can talk about all these other things, but that doesn't absolve Israel of its duty to provide safety for p civilians in the entirety of the region. Provide safety for Gazans. What I mean, fundamentally, there are. What, 20% of Israel proper is an Arab population who can coincide with Israelis, you know? What is to stop Israel from allowing Gazan citizens to move in, give them opportunities, give them safety, so on and so forth, and, and prevent the, the mass killing that's going on to civilians, the mass bombardment of children? Right, you're raising a very good point there. 20% of the Israeli population, so Israeli citizens, are Arab Muslim. And they live in safety. And they were also among the victims that were killed in this pogrom. Um, so they, the Israeli government not only protects their Jewish citizens, they also protect their Muslim citizens, the Arab citizens. That's what they're there for. That's what every government has to do. And when I hear that then says, well, we should, there is no looking back into history, well, then it might be an idea to look at what these different groups are. We have, luckily, not only Hamas, who is oppressing the Palestinians. It's a very nasty group. They are terrorists, and they have proven it for the world to see what their tactics are and what they're using. And you might 
if even if you agree that even if you agree that there shouldn't be any Israeli Jewish state, even then, that it's not okay to use the means that Hamas is using. That should be clear, and that shouldn't be any ifs or buts. This should be condemned just very forcefully. That this is just horrific. Um, so that's the first, and then we need to see what kind of uh, different factions there are among Palestinians, of course also among Israelis. Just to say, well, these are just the Israelis and the Palestinians, it's just wrong. Many Palestinians feel oppressed by what is Hamas doing, and they see what's happening there, and just to not looking at their ideology, not looking at what a dangerous group this is, it's, it's also very, very bad for Palestinians all over the world. Right in Gaza, of course, uh, immediately because they're oppressed by Gaza, and if you, Dan, you should know that in Gaza, when Hamas took over, they killed the Fatah members. They killed any opposition there, and anybody who has, is uh, standing up for women's rights, uh, LGBTQ plus rights. I mean, you should know what Hamas really does with these with these minorities or with women. It's just horrific. So this is this cannot be seen as a as a resistance movement or some in, in these terms that paint or gloss over this vicious group. So you should look at the ideology and also at the actions they take, and that should be condemned without any ifs and buts. George, yeah, I just want to point out that um, you know that Israel is. Um, is responsible not just for protecting the um, Palestinian citizens in its state. It's also responsible for protecting the people that are under its control. And um, those people include the Palestinians in the West Bank and the people who are living in Hamas, or in Gaza, which is you know under siege by Israel and Egypt. How is Ga- uh, Israel controlling Gaza? It's not true. It's Israel and Egypt that are controlling Gaza. Who else? Hamas. Oh, sure. At the civilian level. Yeah, sure. That's true. But not, they're not in charge of like what flows into Gaza. They're not in charge of the electricity coming in, the food, the water, all these things that are cut off. Like Hamas can't uh, turn those things on or off. So they don't, they don't really have control of the territory. Yeah, but they could use the fuel to uh, for the hospitals instead of their uh, their military capacities. They could use the uh, all the equipment that comes in not to build new weapons, and that's what they're doing. And that's why it's controlled. And it's also not true that there was no. Uh, contact. So there, there were the borders between also Israel and Gaza. They allowed in the last years people to work even from Gaza in Israel, right? And there, there were things going through these borders, and um, that has even increased over the last years. Um, and rightly so, because uh, there is an interest, I think, from humanitarian perspective to foster this cooperation. So um, but those who torpedoed this are these kind of attacks, and these attacks, of course, the Israeli government has to secure the security of their people. So they have to make sure that um, not, nothing comes in that can be constructed and used for construction of weapons. Mm-hmm. Well, let me uh, try to get a little handle on this. Dan, Dan said earlier, he talked about um, some of Dan's first comments were about grieving the loss of innocent life or civilians and you know, grieving the loss of life on both sides. It seems to me that, that when we talk about these issues, and this is you know, my perspective, we have Israeli citizens, we have Palestinian citizens, people, we have the Israeli government, and we have Hamas, which is the government of um, Gaza now. I mean, how much in uh, what differences do you see in these four groups of people? Aiden, I want to. Well, I think the difference fundamentally, too, is uh, is that the Israeli people have the infrastructure and protection of their government. If we're going to assume the notion, which I agree, that Hamas oppresses to a degree the Palestinian people in Gaza, then they have no one to. They have no represent. They have no infrastructural support whatsoever. And as Israel is the, as the country that has that, it, it has a duty to provide that for those citizens who have nothing to protect. There's nowhere for them to go. More than Egypt? 
not, I mean, the Israelis bombed the Egyptian border. Would the would these Palestinians well, cross that border? They've made it clear that it's dangerous to cross that border. I mean, yeah, we can put it on Egypt too. But as you're saying, it's it's a good thing Israel's been accepting Gazan citizens, but that's only marginally. I mean, Palestinian citizens from the West Bank, even with an American I American passport, that has changed only recently because of new things going on in the United States. But it is extremely hard to get a permit to cross the border, to cross into Jerusalem or Israeli territory, even as an American citizen. And uh, to say that from the West Bank perspective, then we have to look at Gaza, which is even more intensely harder. So Israel is it responsible to accept these civilians who have no infrastructure and to, to cease bombing them, to cease killing indiscriminately children and infrastructure and so forth. I mean, what, 11 UN representatives have also died too. That's on Israel's responsibility. Gunther, let, let me let me follow up with that and say what what do you think is the Israelis' um, responsibility at this point? They've basically, as I said in starting out the show, they've told people in the northern part of Gaza they need to go south. Right. Sounds as if the Israelis are planning to invade or take over the Gaza city and where 1.1 million people live now. A lot of civilians in that territory. What's the appropriate move of the Israeli government, right. in your view? Yeah, it's it's an impossible situation. I mean, that was that was the reason why Israel did not go in before in the 2014 war and or in uh, 2021. Um, it's just because so many civilians will be killed. The big difference here, and uh, uh, so that's why I think this is just. A nonsense to speak of a genocide. They do not target the civilian population. They have no interest, and they don't do this, that they want to kill the uh, Palestinian population in Gaza. The police, there will be a lot of civilians um, as casualties um, that unfortunately suffer from that, and that's horrific. But they do not target this. This is We have to make these fundamental differences on what... Um, these state actors like Israel do um, and what um, Hamas is doing. We have seen all this also in other conflicts um, where state actors also target civilians. We see this today in Russia. They have targeted civilians expressly. I don't think, so Israel has a responsibility not to do that. That's a war crime. They should not do it, of course. But it's not a genocide is if you target the civilians as this the main target. And of course, we saw that uh, with Nazi Germany, they target civilians, right, in, uh, with their Einsatzgruppen and others. But I would like to shift a little bit the conversation to the perceptions here, because I've been spending a lot of time on social media, and that's actually what, what my research area is uh, in the last days. And some of the reactions there that I've seen on different platforms. So um, I was shocked. One thing that I may not understand this, that people still stick to their categories of these both sides are somehow responsible here and we need to find, uh, blame both sides. And uh, so I think that's why I talked about this both sidism. I think this is just in the situation, it doesn't work anymore because this is the worst pogrom that we've seen in the 21st century against Jews. and actually since the Holocaust. Um, but I've seen also from the far right an endorsement of these attacks. So one thing that I, that I read on Saturday was um, by an extremist um, on, the, on GAP, which is a, a platform that mostly is used by white nationalists, white supremacists, saying, I have not felt like Israel is a real chance of being destroyed in my lifetime until now, and then cheering this. So we've seen this from the extreme right, that they are happy because Jews are getting killed. We see this in this country, this cheering up. We see also, of course, the, you have probably seen the statement by the Iranian leader, uh, Khamenei, who endorsed this as well. We see that also from some people on the left who praise this as a resistance. So they put this in these old categories and then praise these kind of horrific um, terrorist attacks that are resulted in a pogrom. So these kind of conversation we need to have and say we need to be 
clear about this. This is not acceptable. So I think we need really to uh, talk about also what the impact is here. Um, also, what's the impact here on uh, Jews here in this country, but also on Palestinians here in this country? What's the impact that uh, on, on us here in the United States? Dan, I'm going to bring you back in the conversation now. I want to give you a chance to react to some of the things you've heard. Well, so much has gone since I've had a chance to speak. Um, Gunther needs a fact checker. He referred to the Palestinian citizens in Israel as Muslims. It is a community that is both Muslim and Christian. Um, he spoke about Israel um, as a state um, protecting its citizens. In fact, the Israeli state has a law that says strictly that Israel is not a state for its citizens, but for the Jewish people everywhere. So the Israeli state has a law that defines itself as not a state for its Palestinian citizens inside the 48 borders. Um, nobody on this show is speaking anything other than condemnation for the targeting of civilians um, by the Israeli state or by Hamas. Um, you want to, you know, look at the responsible statement from our one of our greatest members of Congress, Representative Tlaib. There's no celebration of Hamas. There is absolutely condemnation of Hamas. I'm not sure There's if everybody no agrees with your assessment there, but okay. There, excuse me, Gunther. <laughs> you know, you've, you, you've, I, you were allowed to speak, but the minute sure. I speak, so go on. You, you interrupt me. Go, go ahead, Dan. Dan, are you there? You know, Gunther has perpetrated a bizarre myth that puts him in a denialist camp that Israel has not been responsible um, for the oppression of people in Gaza through a crippling siege over the last 16 years. One pillar of his myth is that Egypt also is responsible, but also doesn't mean Israel is not. Another pillar of his myth is just that it didn't happen. I mean, this is bizarre. And he is also not willing to talk about the fact that um, when you drop bombs for seven days on a population and destroy apartment buildings, the notion that this is not um, in violation of international law. International law requires that there be not just no targeting, but there not be disproportionate impact on civilians. There has been overwhelmingly disproportionate impact on civilians in Gaza. This is, this is crime under international law. The demand that 1.1 million people move in 24 hours, even if somehow we were to snap our fingers and put in a multi-lane superhighway in Gaza, you couldn't move 1.1 million. Forced transfer is a crime under international law. And what does Gunther say? Hamas, 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 Hamas. Okay, Gunther, we're done. Ham what Hamas did was horrific. We've condemned it. Nobody is celebrating it as, as resistance. Um, try to be as focused on what is unfolding right now. I wish we were done with Hamas. Hamas is still firing rockets. We're unfortunately not done with Hamas, but hopefully uh, oh, soon Gunther, there won't be you know, any Hamas. Look, that, you know, I, I suspect when this is done, in the fog of war, we all need to be humble, Gunther. But I think it's implausible that we have not already had tens of thousands of deaths, or, or at least 10,000 deaths um, in Gaza that we're likely to have many more. And if we're not promoting peace and de-escalation, if we're not promoting ceasefire, if we're not promoting a demand that Israel allow humanitarian aid in and electricity, if we're not promoting, if we're not demanding that no more arms be sent, then we're not really learning that never again must be for all of us. Um, and you know, to the, to, as long as I live, I will honor my Jewish parents and what they, the Jewish faith they gave me. Um, and um, insist that never again is for all of us. I want to say something else because Gunther talks about the anti-Semitism of Hamas. I've never met somebody from Hamas, but I have spent decades in the pro-Palestinian 
um, solidarity movement as a Jew, and I've traveled in the West Bank, and neither in the pro-Palestinian solidarity movement nor in my times I've been in the West Bank have I ever experienced anything like anti-Semitism. But I'm also a Jew in America, in an extended Jewish community, and the um, Jewish community in America, unfortunately, is rife with racism against um, Palestinians and Arabs. So, um, you know, we need to be honest. The, this is my community, my, um, and I have heard, grown up hearing um, unforgivable bigotry that um, presents Palestinians as less than human. And when you think of other people as less as humans, as the Nazis thought about Jews, that's when you get um, genocide. And and Gunther, I ask you. I'm happy that we agree one point, that humans, humanity, every human is important. I'm happy that we agree on that point. Let me, let me uh, break in and say a couple things. One, well, I'm, I want to go to Aiden next, but and I, I do want to ask about you know, Dan's point, I mean, what steps should we be calling for now to try to try to somehow end the the violence to civilians? Well, I think one we one thing we can do to start is not using the language. If we accept the fact that, say, which I don't entirely I don't agree with that Israel doesn't target civilians. I, I accept the fact that there is they are targeting civilians. There is a bombing of civilian infrastructure and so on. If we accept the fact that they don't target civilians, though, this notion that well, I mean, they're not targeting civilians, but a bunch of civilians are going to die. Should that not alarm us? Are they not human enough for us to be alarmed by their casualties? Like, is that we can't just say, oh, well, they're all going to die. That's unfortunate, but that's the reality of the case. I mean, that's fundamentally dehumanizing that at the end of the day, if that leads to thousands killed, those are thousands of souls killed, regardless of whether or not they said we should kill them or not. I mean, that should alarm us either way. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Every human being is precious, and we should do our best to protect every human being. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Okay. So Dan had a few specific ideas for you know calling for a ceasefire or trying to make sure that uh, civilian Palestinians could leave Gaza before there was any more violence. Are those plausible. Gunter, are those plausible actions? Look, I'm not a uh, I'm not military expert, right? But the uh, Israeli government, it's not in their interest to have a lot of um, Palestinian casualties. Whatever the morality is, I hope that we have a lot of moral uh, people in the Israeli military as well, and that they share with with us here that we say every human being is precious and should be protected. I don't know. But it's also not in the Israeli interest to have a lot of Palestinian casualties in among the civilians because it's just bad for them. And so, but if you want to, and I think now they need to, destroy the capacity from Hamas to have a repeat of this operation. Hamas has clearly an interest in repeating that. If they could do even a bigger pogrom, they would do it tomorrow. So the Israeli government needs, there is no way around it, they, needs to make, they need to make sure that Hamas does not have the capacity in the future. So how do you do that? I don't know, I'm not a military expert. But you, of course you need to target the weapon factories that are in Gaza. The problem is that these weapon factories are often in areas where there's a lot of, uh, with a lot of civilians. It's even under hospitals that there is the Hamas uh, main quarters. Or the weapons are sometimes fired from kindergartens. So what do you do with that? So it's just an impossible, that's what I said, an impossible situation. And if they say now the entire north needs to evacuate and gather to the south, well, I interpreted this as a way to deal with that somehow to say, well, look, uh, go, uh, go now south and then we bombard this and we have hopefully less civilian casualties. But I want to do one remark on the, uh, on the water on the siege, on, on the electricity. And um, so Israel has delivered water, electricity, gas to the Gaza Strip 
even during the, the conflicts before. So they have delivered that. They didn't have to do it, but they did. Now they don't do that, stop it. And I think it would be very quick, Hamas has it in their own hands, if they would free the hostages, they would immediately get back water, electricity and gas. They could do that, but they don't because they also do not care about their own civilian population. I want to turn to George and then to, to Aiden. Um, George, um, I believe it was, yeah, I believe uh, Dan mentioned he hadn't talked to anybody from Hamas. When you were, <laughs> when you were there and you were reporting on the situation. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, not favor. I've a, yeah, I'm, I've a, have historical uh, grievances with Hamas for uh, the way they treated our reporters in Gaza. Um, but then again, you know, uh, the Israelis blew up our office in Gaza last week. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of complications um, working out, out there, obviously. But um, yeah, yeah. just know. from a standpoint of you know, again, the, this collection of people who are living, trying to live together. I'm just trying to get your take from since you lived among uh, the people of. Israel of the West Bank, you're familiar with all the players over there. I mean, we've talked about um, kind of some bad guys and good guys here. I want to get your take from being on the ground. Sure. I mean, you know, I, I'm not there right now. I can't imagine what it's like now. I personally have had my jaw on the floor watching, you know, uh, the news come out of, of Gaza and southern Israel. Um, I think I can imagine that people on both sides are very, very scared right now. I don't think they know what's coming next. Um, I mean, uh, the, you know, obviously, I think I, you know, I know Palestinians right now who are absolutely in Gaza, who are absolutely terrified about this um, order for them to evacuate this, you know, the northern half of the uh, the, the territory. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I have one friend uh, who's there right now who just posted on Facebook this morning that, you know, his family's decided that they're going to stay in their house um, and come what may, you know, and I just remember shaking my head and thinking, like, I can't imagine uh, what kind of just, you know, what kind of difficult decision that is. Um, and these are the decisions that, you know, individual families are facing right now. Every single person, um, you know, who is uh, living under the, you know, the next, the next disaster area, which is Gaza, you know, obviously what happened to Israel is hopefully happened and is over, that, that attack. But um, Palestinians are bracing for, you know, what, what that reaction is going to be. And historically, it's been, you know, pretty devastating. Mm-hmm. Aiden? Uh, my question is, why doesn't Israel make moves to accept Palestinian civilians and give them asylum and then further, you know, full rights under the law? What does it have to lose from then? I mean, I look at Israel telling uh, Gazans to move to the south as as furthering the ideology that we've seen from this far-right government of expansion of terror. Once, uh, as you know, officials have said, once Gaza is leveled, then they then there can be space moved in for the expansion of settlements. Why can't Gazans then move into Israel and be given full rights under the law? Yeah, it would be a wonderful idea if Israeli would be sure that it wouldn't be used by terrorists to go into the country and kill more people. Look at the situation that is there. Do you imagine that now in the south of Israel, the people would feel comfortable in welcoming one or two point two million people uh, coming in, and you don't know who is going to go with them. The the Hamas has a tactic that they don't even um, they don't put military uniforms very often on, so you cannot distinguish military Hamas uh, people from the civilian population. How can how they control it? It's just impossible. It is equally, uh, maybe a little bit less uh, impossible for Egypt to do that. And there are deals now talk, talked about how Egypt could take in uh, refugees, and that is probably a more realistic uh, option. But realistically, it's not possible for Israel now to take in uh, in this situation. And we have also to think of this, this is now a conflict um, between Gaza, Hamas, and Israel. But the big fear that many Israelis have is that there will be attacks from the north, and there have been some from Hezbollah, who have uh, many more weapons and much stronger weapons. And it could also, also be Syria that gets involved. So they need to uh, secure this border quickly because anytime. Uh, 
Hezbollah could also attack. That doesn't even depend so much on Hezbollah. It depends more on Iran. If they think it's a good idea now to attack Israel, then there will be full-out war even from the north. So if you think about this from the Israeli perspective, they have to do something that just secures this border. I'm going to go to Dan and then George, and George has a question for Aiden. So, Dan? The root cause of the horrific violence of this moment is the oppression. It is a state that treats Jews as more than and Palestinians as less than. That's the oppression. It takes different forms inside the 48 borders, East Jerusalem, the West Bank, and Gaza. The root cause is the oppression by the state. The root solution is to affirm equality, to end all of the Israeli laws that give privileges and rights to Jews ahead of um, Palestinians. Equality and freedom. Radical ideas, I know, but I believe in them. And when we have freedom and equality for Palestinians, um, Hamas will be weak. When we have freedom and equality for Palestinians, um, we have the possibility of people living together as human beings. Um, Gunther shares with me, and I'm glad he does, a condemnation of the violence and the targeting of civilians by Hamas. I'm glad you can join me, Gunther, in condemning the violence against civilians by Hamas. I ask you if you're going to oppose violent resistance, join me also in supporting nonviolent resistance. Jewish Voice for Peace has never supported violence, but we do support nonviolent resistance to the Israeli apartheid state. We support boycotts, divestment, sanctions. These are nonviolent tactics. They helped end the white racist apartheid of South Africa. They can help end the Jewish supremacist Zionist apartheid that oppresses Palestinians. Boycotts also were crucial for overcoming the worst of Jim Crow in this country. This is nonviolent resistance. If you oppose nonviolent resistance, if you do not endorse BDS, you are oppressions and violence's greatest acolyte. Um, and, you are, and your condemnation of violent resistance is hollow. Just as if you analyze what's happened and you stop seven days ago, rather than having a historical consciousness and understanding the root cause of the oppression, uh, the root cause of the violence is the oppression, a state that treats some about some people as more than and other people as less than. Well, we have to end Jewish supremacy in Israel. Gunther, can you go very quickly and then I'll go to George. Okay. Yes. So this analysis of only seeing the entire world in oppressing oppressed and oppressors, um, this is just nonsense from the last century. A very simplified version uh, of of some theories. Um, and for the listeners who might not know Jewish Voice for Peace is a fringe group, not at all representative for Jewish communities in this country or anywhere. Um, I couldn't follow everything in your logic, Dan, I'm, I'm afraid, but um, to see this only as uh, the root cause, and you made this clear from the beginning to the end, that you see the root cause of all of that is depression of Israel and then accusing Israel of some kind of apartheid and um, this is a lot, I have to repeat myself here, nonsense. And you might want to look at, this is also, we need to look at the ideologies of these movements. So just not looking at, and you said you have never experienced any anti-Semitism um, in some of the pro-Palestinian group, that's great. And there are many pro-Palestinian groups that are not anti-Semitic. You can be pro-Palestinian without being anti-Semitic, without endorsing uh, the killing of Jews. But if you look at Hamas, you need to look at what they say um, and what they put in action. And if you can read, you can read this all over very easily. Clearly anti-Semitic, clearly about killing of Jews. About apartheid, about apartheid. No, no, we, we don't, no. Look at Human this. Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, and B'Tselem have right. all confirmed that doesn't that make it any better. That does not make Human it any Rights better. Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International. All right, I'm going to call it on this one. George, you have a quick question for Aiden? Yeah, sure. Um, I, Aiden, you seem to, to be hinting at um, perhaps um, a possible future in which um, people live together in the same country. Um, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on uh, 
whether or not there's a one-state solution that's in the future or if a two-state solution is still possible. And, you know, basically, could people over there live like here with the citizenship unrelated to your race or religion? Yeah, I think, I think of course, people can. Um, I've, I spent time, I lived months in Jerusalem. I spent time over there. And, you know, you go in Jerusalem, and it's split. There's obviously tensions. There's tensions and so on and so forth. But peop- Palestinians can live alongside Jews without an issue. They deserve to be provided the rights under the same law. They deserve to be provided equality. I mean, this notion, I'm not uh, much of an endorser of a, a two-state solution just because I think that feeds into hyper-nationalistic mm-hmm. um, uh, assumptions. But I'm not, especially for me, I'm not from the West Bank. And my family's origin is not in the West Bank. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to go and have full rights under the law in Haifa and Safad in Arabic or Safad in Hebrew. I, uh, why why am I not accounted those same rights? I mean, that's something we deserve. And, and again, to the point that Israel cannot provide this amnesty for civilians because there's the threat of terrorism. I mean, I don't... I, I understand, yes, but still at the same point that that we end up then just saying, all right, that justifies, you know, the mass bombardment, casualties end up dead. I mean, we have to, if we're going to center around the premise that human life is important, we have to take that. A family, most of the cause is children. I mean, if uh, children can only do so much. And if we look at Palestinians, if Palestinians can live alongside Jews in in 48 territory and, and, and Jerusalem and so on and so forth, then they can be provided the rights without resorting to, you know, these terroristic acts that you're hinting toward. They can be provided. That is very possible. We're we, seeing that possibility. We are out of time. We're going to end on that. That's a little a positive place to end. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you to Aiden uh, Harmis, uh, who is a member of the Palestinian Solidarity Committee at IU. Also, Gunter Jekeli, who is a professor at IU in, in the um, – Born's Jewish Studies Program, Dan, Dan, Daniel Siegel, Gene M. Pitzer, Professor of Anthropology and Professor of History at Pitzer College and from Jewish po- Voice for Peace, and George Hale, uh, my colleague here at WFIU who, has, who worked in the West Bank for seven years. I want to thank Mike Pashkash, our producer, and our, also our engineer, and Nathan, Nathan Moore, our producer. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening today. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org and from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.